Father, we come to you as the one that we all affirm together that Jesus is worthy. Worthy of our praise, worthy of our time, worthy of all of our energy and efforts, worthy of our loyalty, worthy of all of our possessions, worthy of everything, Lord. And we can't fully express that to you now, but one day we will. And we thank you for that day and we look forward to that day and we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, may we be found faithful and may you uh, extend your grace and peace and comfort to those who are suffering right now, whatever the suffering may be, whatever form it may take. We pray, Father, that through this, Christ would be exalted. I think about the people in Hawaii with all those wildfires. What a wonderful opportunity to take a horrible situation, a terrible situation, a tragic situation, and yet may Christian people rise up and may the witness of Christ go forth and may... uh, this result in something that was meant for evil but works out in a wonderful way as Joseph said to his own brothers about that because you have such a way of doing that working all things together for the good of those who love you and are the called according to your purpose so I pray for churches and Christians all over the United States but especially in Hawaii and I pray for them and the organizations that will be there to represent Christ and to show the people of uh, that state uh, about the truth of the Word of God, the truth of Jesus, and the love of Christian people. And help us not to forget whatever part we might pray in that, uh, play in that, to pray for them, to give uh, to disaster relief and Samaritan's Purse and places like that. And uh, let us also not forget about our own land and the uh, neighborhoods and our own state and people around here who have needs. It may be that a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a work associate has some kind of a tragedy or a need in their life and it's our opportunity to do something in the name of Jesus that would help them, that would show mercy to them, that would show love to them and it might uh, turn into a gospel conversation and their conversion is what we would pray. And we pray today that whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we fear, whatever it is that has us in bondage right now, whatever it is that is hindering us as believers, we pray, Father, that you would liberate us from that today by the grace and the power of the name of Jesus. And we come today to say, Lord, we want to serve you, we want to love you, and we want to be free and we want to be true and honest as we do so, to be authentic servants of God in everything we do. Help our marriages, help our parenting, help us as we work, Help us as we go to school. we got a lot of teachers and a lot of students going to school and starting off on everything. May they start well. May they have energy. May they have strength. May this be a year that glorifies you and that you use Christian teachers and faculty members and Christian students to spread the gospel throughout all of our schools. And we pray, Lord, not only for our school, but we think about how corrupt our government is. We think about how uh, unjust some of our laws are and we pray father that you would forgive us of the murder of babies and their mother's wombs we pray that you would forgive us of the sexual immorality and perversions that pervade our land even now and we pray father that we would be able to stand in truth we'd be able to stand in boldness 
but also to be able to stand in kindness and compassion and uh, to uh, let everything we do be done in love, as the scripture says. And so we pray this because we can't do this on our own. We have no idea how to make any of this happen, but you do. And so we want to enter into your plan, and we want to surrender to your will, and we want to make ourselves available to you. And like Isaiah, we say, here am I, send me. And we pray all of this for the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'll take your Bibles this morning, and uh, let's turn to... John chapter 1. Uh, we've already read this verse, but it's one I want to look at again. And uh, I think it's probably the most important verse in the Bible. And I say that because uh, John 3.16 would not be possible if it were not for John chapter 1 verse 14. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 would not be possible if it were not for John 1.14. And you're familiar with the, ver the verse... Because after John has talked about this person that he calls the Word, who was God, was with God, he says this in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And then look at this phrase. Full, full of grace and truth. The word there for full is pleroma. It's used in other places. Talks about fullness. Talks about a time. Uh, Paul says in Galatians, when the fullness of time, the pleroma of time had come, God sent his son and the son came full of grace and full of truth. And as we said last week, those two things certainly go together. Let me read you what one commentator said. Here we come to the sentence for the sake of which John wrote his gospel. He has thought and talked about the word of God, that powerful, creative, dynamic word, uh, which was the agent of creation, that guiding, acting, controlling word, which puts order into the universe and mind into man. These were ideas which were known and familiar to both the Jew and the Greek. And now he says the most startling and incredible thing that he could have said. He says quite simply, this word which created the world, this reason which controls the order of the world, and we might add even the universe, has become a person and with our own eyes, we saw him. Now let the truth and the grandeur of that just kind of sink into your spirit for just a, a moment. Because we are so used to hearing that story that it's just, uh, well, everybody knows that. Oh yeah, God became a man. Think about it. Stop and think. God, God became a man. Why would he do that? Oh, well, it's because we're so wonderful and we're so valuable, he just couldn't help it. Are you kidding me? Have you looked at yourself lately? Have you looked at the world around us lately? Have you looked at your fellow human beings lately? There's none good but God. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. 
And so this is such a great verse. God, the Word that controls everything, gives order to everything, holds it all together as we sang earlier. He is the one who stepped down out of heaven and instead of Him saying, y'all come up here, He came down to us. We could never go where He was, so He came to us. And when we think about all of this, the Word became flesh. It reminds us, the first and foremost we see in this verse, God himself became a human being. Now let that sink in. To know uh, about God is to know some things that, uh, well, he's eternal for one thing. And we're not. We live, we have a definite time when we're born. We have a definite time when we die. We come and we go. Generations come, generations go. And all of the mighty people of the past that are gone now, they at one time were healthy and strong and influential and powerful and held everything there, but they're gone now. And there are people still yet to come. Thinking about uh, Bethany and Chase are going to be having a baby in just a matter of a couple of months, maybe a little bit longer than that. Who knows with Bethany. And uh, we uh, think about all of that and we think how wonderful it is. What will this child be? And what will this child, what kind of world will this child live in? And what will this child accomplish? And what will she do for the glory of God? But there's one thing we know. Even a brand new baby born today, brand new, only has a limited amount of time and there are threats there are diseases there are situations there are conflicts there's war there's terrorism there are different things we call accidents things that threaten life every single day and you and I are here today because God has brought us through dangers toils and snares right and so we know that there are all kinds of threats because we are not eternal in and of our flesh and in our time upon this earth. And isn't it weird and strange to think that an eternal God comes here on earth to live in a fleshly body to face all of the dangers, toils and snares and threats, everything that we would face and uh, to go through all of that when he didn't have to. We know that God is eternal. And so the fact that God would die for us, how does that factor in with his eternality? It's not logical. It doesn't seem to make any sense. And so he, the one who has no beginning and no ending, stepped into time and space, was born to live and not just live in the best of circumstances, but John said he lived and dwelt among us. His life was tough. His life was hard. His life was something that we would never want to live. We don't know what it was like to live in ancient Palestine, to live under Roman domination, to live without the comforts of life, to live without running water, to live without refrigeration, to live without grocery stores on every corner or anything like that. Just think of it. And this is Jesus stepping out of the ivory palaces of heaven to come down to a virgin's womb and to be born nine months later. Why would he do anything like that? We know about God that he is omniscient. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And yet when he stepped out of heaven, he had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. He learned, the book of Hebrews says, obedience through his sufferings. 
when we find uh, the God being omnipresent, a God who is everywhere, and yet he goes from being everywhere. The psalmist said, where can I go from your presence? If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. Wherever I go, you are there. And to think that he would step out of that into a womb of a virgin, that's quite a shock and quite a change and quite a difference. And then we find that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, creating everything with a word. And we find out that Jesus is the one who created everything in the universe by the word of his power. And now he has stepped out of heaven. He is in the womb of a virgin. He doesn't even speak. And when he is born, he cries like a baby, has to have his mother's milk, has to be kept warm, has to be protected, all of those things. What a shock, what a difference, what an amazing thing that this God would step out of heaven into that to become one of us, to live among us and to live in that time and to live in that place. Well, for him to do that, what had to happen? Well, Jesus, obviously, he didn't quit being God because he came to earth fully God and fully man. It's called the hypostatic union of Christ. But he did have to empty himself. It's called the doctrine of kenosis, emptied himself. He had to humble himself. He had to be submissive to the will of the Father. And this is what makes Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9 so beautiful. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied, emptied, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And we know as we go on that one day everyone, you, me, everyone that has ever existed, will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a God! What a Savior! What a situation that we think about that He would go through all of that, humble Himself, be obedient to death and not just any death. It'd be one thing if He said, I'll go to earth and just have a stroke when I'm 40 or something like that and just go to sleep and wake up in heaven. But He died, and Paul emphasizes even the death of the cross, the unimaginable painful, horrible, shameful death on a cross. And then above all of that, he had to drink the cup of the wrath of God for your sins. And yet he did that all voluntarily, willingly, and out of his great love. I say, praise his holy name for doing that for us, right? That is just incredible and amazing. So as John writes this verse... The Word became flesh. This is the separating point. Up until this, any Jew and any Greek would probably go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, mm-hmm. Yeah, we got that. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Greek would go, no way. 
And the Jew would go, no way, God would never do that. That would not be the Messiah. How could that happen? And the Greek would say, why would a holy God come into an evil body, into an evil material world, and they couldn't conceive of it? And yet that's the beauty of the plan of God. We never would have thought of it. We never would have conceived it. But in the mind of God from eternity past, this is the plan. And he gave everything required on behalf of us. What a great God we have. And he comes to earth and then he dwells among us. The word dwelt, as we said a couple of weeks ago, it means to pitch his tent and he did it among us. Now let's remember, tent is often used in the Bible as a metaphor for the body. We find that Paul used this term to describe our earthly uh, pilgrimage here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. He talks about the tent that we are in, our body that we are in, and what we're going to put off. But also think about something else. The tent in the area where uh, Israel in the Middle East is was very important because most of the people there for most of the time were nomadic and they would move wherever there was pasture, wherever they could feed their flocks. And so as a drought came in one area, they could move then to a place where there was water and where there was green grass for their herds. And uh, it was also a place where they could get out of the rain whenever it would rain. They could maybe get a shelter in the shade of the tent from the heat of the desert. And uh, it was also a place where they would show hospitality. While we were in Israel, in the place where Abraham lived in that region, they had a thing that was called Abraham's tent. It's where Sammy and I got to ride a camel for the first and maybe the last time. I don't know. And uh, we also were, we ate food that they would eat back during that time. And the people there served us. And we had a visit from Father Abraham. Not the real one. But uh, he came and spoke to us and talked about the time that where the tents were in the desert and he talked about the desert is a place of life or death there's not much in between that and he said hospitality was important back in those days middle eastern hospitality because if you didn't show hospitality to a stranger they might die and their blood would be upon your head and so they would show that hospitality do you remember reading in the book of genesis about Abraham, and this was after uh, the covenant had been made. And uh, when you uh, think about uh, Abraham and you think about his name, you remember originally he was Abram, and that means father of many. Their names were very, very, very literal, kind of like Native American names that uh, we think of. Father of many. And so when Abram was out and around in town or buying and selling goats and camels or whatever... Can you imagine somebody going, oh, what is your name? And he would say, oh, my name is father of many. What's the logical question? How many kids do you have? And Abram, to his shame, said, I don't have any. And remember, that was a culture where they believed that the more kids you had, the greater the blessing of God would be upon you. So Abram, though I don't have any. And God comes to Abram and he says, we're going to change your name. And Abram's going, yes, finally I get a name I like. And uh, I wonder what went through Abram's mind. We're going to change your name to man of faith. We're going to change your name to a friend of God. We're going to change your name to rich man in the desert or something like that. 
And God says, your name is no longer Abram, but now it is Abraham. Oh, can you imagine how Abraham's heart sunk? Because Abraham means father of nations. He doesn't even have a kid. How can he be the father of nations? Well, there in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 18, it says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent, there's that word, in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, here's the hospitality, he ran from the tent door to greet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, um, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran back, uh, ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. I wonder how quickly they didn't have much to help them out there. But anyway, quickly for their time, I'm sure. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, I read that story. There's a whole lot in there. It's a great story. And that was a visit from the Lord. But do you see the hospitality? As soon as he saw them, he wanted to wash their feet. He wanted to get them water. He wanted to get them food. Can you imagine Sarah? There Abraham is in the heat of the day, sitting in the door of the tent. And now she's got to build a fire and make cakes. Can you imagine how hot that must have been? Didn't matter. You had to show hospitality. You wanted to be gracious. You wanted to provide for their needs. Because in that desert area, as I said before, to not do that could be, not always, but could be the sentence of death upon these friends, upon these relatives, upon these neighbors. So hospitality was very, very important. Here's what I thought of when I thought about Christ coming and tabernacling among us, putting his tent among us. As I thought about what a tent was for, I thought about this. Jesus is my shelter from the heat of the day. Jesus is my shelter from the storms of life. Jesus is the shelter in the time of storm. But I also thought of something else, that him coming and dwelling among us, putting his tent among us. It's a way of showing hospitality. You know what Jesus said by coming to earth? You're welcome. You can come to me. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. He said that you can come, and I'm the bread of life. You can come to me, and I'm the living water. All of that that we read in this story of the hospitality of Abraham, we all find in Jesus, and he didn't keep it to himself. He came to earth. He pitched his tent among us that he might be our shelter in the time of storm and that he might be the one that says welcome to the kingdom of God and show grace and mercy and hospitality to us 
the most undeserving, and yet we find all of that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to all of that, because if you don't know him, that's what you're missing out on. That's what Jesus is. Not this reluctant God who says, I may or may not answer the phone. Not this God who is distant and says, I've blocked your number and I don't want to hear from you. But the God who seeks and saves the lost from the very beginning, he came to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Not that he didn't know, but Adam needed to fess up what he was doing and why he was there. And this is the God that seeks after the sheep. This is the God that came to us. We could never come to him. He came to us. He dwelt among us us and so that blessed me to think about that to think that God fully human he was tired he was hungry he was burdened he was sad there were times when he grieved there were times he was forsaken and rejected he was tempted in all things like we are he suffered pain and he even suffered death think of that the eternal God putting himself in a place where he could suffer death See, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And the only way we can be saved is for an innocent one to die for the guilty. Only God can fulfill that. How do you kill God? How does God shed blood? And his unique, wonderful plan was God will put on an earth suit. God will put on skin and he'll dwell among us and go through all of the pains and trials and storms that we go through and yet do it without sin. And he did that for us because Paul said in Romans, we're not only saved by his death, but we're saved by his life. Certainly that means resurrection, but I think it means even more. His life was unblemished and he died on the cross as the sinless Lamb of God, the unblemished lamb, to bear the wrath of God in our place. That's the only way it could happen. Think of the suffering that he never would have suffered in heaven. Think of the things he endured while he was on the earth. And think about how easy it is to get you to lose your temper. Think about how easy it is to get you to do something or say something you regret. Think about all the crime stories you've ever heard of. I don't know what happened to me. I loved her, but I just snapped or something. Jesus never did that. Never an unkind word, never a foul word, never a bad thought, never an evil thought, nothing like that in spite of all of the pressure that was on him because he was not only fully human to experience everything we go through, but he was fully God at the same time. And that's why he could deal with demons. They were terrified of him because he was dealing with them as the God-man. That's why he could heal the sick because sickness had to yield to him. That's why he could walk on water because as soon as he put his foot on the water, all the water molecules said, the big boss is here, get together, don't let him fall. And they held him up as he walked toward that boat because he is the creator, the God-man. This is why he could say to people, your sins are forgiven you because who? Who can forgive sins except God? And he's the one that uh, raised the dead. Lazarus, he said, come forth. And as you've heard it before, but I remind you again, had he not called, said Lazarus and been specific, every dead person in the cemetery would have come out. But he called Lazarus specifically, and he could do that because he was God, Lord over death, and he lived without sin, and he fully pleased his father and uh, that's something you and I don't even know really what pleases the Father uh, completely. We know some, and we try it some, but Jesus actually did it, 
and he did it for you as the God-man. So anything you hear about that takes away the humanity of Jesus is not the true gospel. And anything that takes away from the deity of Jesus is not the true gospel. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, so he could be the fulfillment that was required to pay for all of your sins and make you, you, acceptable to God. Think of it. That's a wonderful thing to know and to know for sure. Do you know that you're saved? Do you have assurance of your salvation? Well, I don't feel saved. We don't go by our feelings. Well, I don't always live right. We don't go by our performance. We trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. I am a great sinner. Don't say amen to that, please. But I will give you something you can say amen to. But here's my hope. I have an even greater Savior. Grace that is greater than all my sin. See? And that's where you are if you know Christ. If you don't know Him, will you surrender to Him as Lord today and call on His name and ask Him to save you? Because He certainly will. I want you to notice something else. John said, number three, that God's glory was seen. To see God's glory. Now, how do you do that? How do you see the glory of God? Because it's my understanding as I read through the Bible in the Old Testament that uh, you can't see the glory of God and survive, can you? Think about that. We beheld His glory. I want to remind you of Exodus chapter 33, 18 through 23. Moses had a question. Please show a request. Please show me your glory. And he, God said... I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Nothing's going to stop me. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold... There is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Now two things that come to mind after that. John said we beheld his glory they looked face to face with christ and they didn't die and john is overwhelmed and astounded about that we beheld his glory and the word beheld there is a greek word that means to see you say that's obvious yeah but sometimes we see things in our mind sometimes we see things in our dreams sometimes we see things in our imagination john said nope this is a word we saw him as he is with our eyes, we beheld his glory. And John indeed did do that when he saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as he was unveiled and his glory came forth. And he didn't die. John is amazed by that. Even the great Moses couldn't look upon Jesus like John did. And it astounded him. But I've got something for you as well. One day you will see him face 
to face as well for eternity, fully acceptable and alive in Him for eternity because of what He has done. And when we go back up to John chapter 1, verse 1, when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, in the Greek it says, Proston Theon, and it literally means He was face to face with God. So this one who was equal with God came to earth and let sinful man see him and behold the glory of God. So much so that when Philip said, show us the Father and it will suffice us, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen whom? The Father. That is an amazing thing to think about. All of this in this one little verse. What an amazing thing it is. So here we come to the last point and think about this. And this kind of ties in, it's a little bit of a redundancy, but oh, is it ever great. The glory was revealed to save, clarify, and redeem. There were other times when the glory of God drove people away, when it caused them to hide. There were other times when the glory of God might kill somebody, but not in Christ in Christ it was welcoming, in Christ it was forgiving, in Christ it was redeeming, in Christ the glory of God says, welcome to the family of God, all you sinners. Jesus is indeed a friend of sinners, which makes me feel good because I feel like Paul most of the time. I'm the chief of sinners. And it's great to know that Christ receiveth sinful men as the old hymn says. And so we think about Christ revealing His glory and glorifying the Father and making us fit for the kingdom of God, making us to where we could be as accepted in heaven as Christ is. You'll not be an afterthought and there won't be any places where the angels are having to scramble to get more plates out or silverware or anything like that. You've already been planned for. The place has already been prepared for you. You already have your dwelling place there. And it's just a matter of time and it's in the hands of God as to when you leave this earthly tent and you go to heaven to be with the Lord. You are welcome there and you will see Him in all of His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I know we're all children of God, but we're not all children of God like He is the Son of God because He is the God-man. The nature of God, the power of God, the knowledge of God, all of that in human flesh. And we get to join in on Him and people like us are called friends of God. Jesus said, no longer would I call you servants, but I call you friends. Think about that. He also has told us that we are heirs of God. You mean I can inherit what God gives me, his kingdom? Yeah. And uh, most of the time under biblical law, the older one got a higher percentage of the inheritance than the others had. I wish I could have done that when my dad died. My brother wouldn't get hardly anything. And I'd get nearly everything. But we don't do that that way in this society, do we? But in, that, in, the Bible, in Bible times, that's the way that it worked. And so Jesus would have been the older brother who would receive the lion's share of the inheritance. But the Bible says we not only inherit something from God, but are you ready for this? Joint heirs with our older brother, Jesus. We share in the only begotten son's inheritance. He's generous and he gives us 
his inheritance and he allows us to live in that so in the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever and ever our status will be sons of God children of God heirs of God blessed of God beloved of God part of the family of God if I were King David I would go Selah think about that that is amazing and all of it undeserved all of it unsought by us but all of it freely given by the one who came to seek us out pay for our sins embrace us redeem us and has given us promises has made a covenant with us that all of this is gonna be fulfilled in Christ guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ wow that is amazing we used to sing a song when I was in college that said, He signed my deed with His atoning blood. He ever lives to make the promise good. Though all the host of hell march in to make a second claim, they all march out at the mention of His name. Everything, everything, everything is by Him and for Him and through Him. All of it goes back to Him and not to us. To God be the glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this glory not only didn't kill John, and it's not going to kill us when we see it, but the glory of Christ is what saves us. When Jesus died on the cross, He died there for the glory of God. We've got to get that in our minds. Christ died for God to please Him, to glorify Him, and it was in that that we get saved because that was the will of the Father. Now think about this. It says He was full of grace. Grace, two things. Always undeserved. Always undeserved, and it always is a thing of beauty. You talk about somebody, maybe a ballet dancer or an athlete or something. Oh, that was a graceful move, a thing of beauty. Well, what God did for us is graceful, a thing of beauty. We never could have comprehended it, but He did it for us. And that's why we are not repulsed by the cross. We glory in the cross and we praise God for the cross. But it's also undeserved because we deserve hell and God gives us heaven and He gives us a relationship with Him and He gives us a forgiveness of sin and He gives us a reprieve forever from His wrath and it does that all because He wanted to. Grace, always undeserved and always a thing of beauty. But He was always full of truth as well because Jesus embodies the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, we find out that the Word of God is truth. John 17, 17, your Word is truth. And all of that comes from Jesus, the living Word. And we find that Jesus communicates the truth and just obliterates all of the legalism and the self-righteousness and all of the things uh, that people, especially the Pharisees, would look at and say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not as other men like this publican. He obliterates all of that and says, you're all in the same boat because you've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. However, I have come to redeem you, and there's one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so he can be known, but he can also be resented, as we have seen in the story of Christ in the New Testament. But praise God, He can be loved. And we love Him because He first 
loved us. And even after he left and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he sent back to us the Holy Spirit that in one place he calls the Spirit of Truth, who will guide you into all truth. Jesus full of grace, praise his name, and full of truth so that we don't have to guess and wander around and stumble around and find things for ourselves. He has revealed the truth to us in his holy word and by his spirit. And he's the only one that can set us free because he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And if the Son sets you free, you shall be Free indeed, which means really free, super free, maybe we might say. And so he is the one that can be trusted because he is the truth. And so I want you to think about this. In a world that is divided, that lives in fear, that is filled with hate, that is filled with racism, that is filled with sexual perversion, that is filled with political corruption, and uh, you think about a world like that, the world we live in, What's the solution? Well, some people might say, well, it's drugs. Just get blitzed out of your mind and stay high. But we know that's not the answer. Some turn to alcohol and they try to find peace in a bottle. And all they find is heartache and destruction as it destroys their body. And it destroys relationships and it destroys their mind. It's not found in alcohol. Some try to find it in gender reassignment surgery only to find out they're still the same person. You may have added things or taken things from your body and gone through a great deal of pain. But it doesn't change who you are. Are. And that's why the suicide rate among people who have had the surgery is every bit as high as it is for those who don't. There's no happiness in any of that. Some people find it uh, to where they burn down cities. Think about all of the Antifa stuff and BLM and all of that. What do you get when you get through with that? You burn down your neighborhood. Businesses move out and it's empty. And then you're more frustrated and more in poverty than you were before. No answer in that. Some want to defund the police. And who does defunding the police hurt the most? The inner city where they're needed the most? It, it's illogical. This world is just calling evil good and good evil. And we don't make any sense. And when you think about all of the hatred and selfishness in the world. So what is the answer? The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And as he said early that he came into his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to those who believe on his name. Folks, proclaim the name of Jesus, the only name that can save. Live for the glory of God. And if you've never trusted Him, trust Him as your Lord and Savior. He indeed is our only hope. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus, yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, God's only son. Be very sure, 
Be very, very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock because the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Praise His holy name. Oh, dear Lord, how we say thank you, thank you, thank you for sending your Son. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we say thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to this earth, this cursed earth among cursed people and living a perfect life in spite of all the mocking, in spite of all of the things that you had gone through on earth and you died on the cross and you sufficiently paid for our sins, you rose from the dead and we as your children confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now help us proclaim that and help us to live in the power of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.